strength when I am weak. You are the treasure that I see. You are my all in all. Seeking you as a precious jewel, or to give up I'd be a fool. You are my all in all. We'll sing it now and let's just worship. Raise your hands. give him a, a praise offering this morning with our hands. Father, we love you. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. He's worthy to be praised this morning, saints. Let's sing that little song, musicians, if you would, key of G, the goodness of God. I love you. Get an uncertain sound here. Give me a key of G. I love you, Lord. For your mercy never fails me All my days I've been held in your hand From the moment that I wake up Oh yes Until I lay my head Well I will sing Of the goodness No, sing that again now I love you Lord 
King, how great is our God? The splendor of a king, clothed in majesty. Let all the earth rejoice, all the earth rejoice. He wraps himself in light, will in darkness tries to and trembles at his voice, trembles at his voice. How great is our God. Sing with me, how great is our God. Oh, no.
last time, very soft for musicians. Oh, and how great is our God. Sing with me, how great is our God. And all will see how great, how great is our God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. You deserve the glory. Amen. I believe he deserves it today. You deserve the glory. Let's just enter into worship. And the honor, Lord, we lift our hands in worship as we lift your hope. Amen. As they play that softly, 
I'd like to take our needs to the Lord this morning. have many prayer requests here. Um, so we just want to be mindful of our brothers' and sisters' needs. Amen. So I'd like to ask Brother Aaron Ngamazi if he would be ready to take these needs to the Lord for us. Amen. Brother Johnny Reynolds, we want to remember him in prayer. <clears throat> uh, special request for him. We want to remember also our dear brother Keith and all that he's going through. Um, just going through an ordeal right now. We just really need to touch from the Lord, and so we're going to hold him up in our prayers. God bless you, Brother Keith. We're certainly praying for you, brother. I wish you could be here with us. Uh, if you would, remember Sister Grace Johnson. She's going to be traveling uh, to New Zealand, so we'll keep her in our prayers. Uh, and if you'd remember Sister Jesse Cockman in prayer as well, special request for her. Uh, also, <clears throat> if you'd remember Brother Ben McCafferty, well, he's not feeling well today. If you remember him in your prayers, um, I have a special unspoken prayer request from Sister Ruth Franklin for Sister uh, Ruth Franklin from Brother Tom and Sister Kim. Amen. So if you remember Sister Ruth Franklin in your prayers, amen. Um, I have another unspoken prayer request. It does not have a name on it, but it says to please keep my mother in prayer. She's in the hospital and also... A brother too he's needing a touch for his back so whoever this prayer request was from man we're going to be praying for you and with you man that god's grace would be on you also if you'd remember uh this request says to please pray for brother tom reynolds he's in the hospital for treatment of infections and a broken pelvis and so it's a very serious situation we remember that prayer brother john reynolds Amen. Also have another prayer request here. Please pray for Brother Troy. He has to go to Duke today. He'll find out when he has to have open heart surgery. It's a very serious surgery. And we thank you for your prayers. God bless you all. I'm sure that's from Sister Connie. God bless you. We're going to be praying for you, Brother Troy. Amen. Brother Aaron, if you would like to come. Do you have unspoken prayer requests on your heart? Amen. God sees each and every need, friend, and we're going to pray with you. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, we approach your throne this morning in this sacred moment, in this sacred hour. Lord, where we have gathered together as your children because you have called us by your word. Lord, we are in the bodies of flesh just like anyone else in this world. And these bodies are subject to sickness. These bodies are subject to to diabetes, they are subject to, to eye troubles, they are subject to high blood pressure and all kinds of things. But Lord, we know that there is a body waiting for us when we leave this earth. But Father, until that day, Lord God, you have paid a price that, oh God, whenever the enemy oppresses us, we can draw from the benefits of Calvary. For the word says in the book of Isaiah that by your stripes we are healed. These words are true, oh God. Despite what we are going through, your word remains true. For heaven and earth will pass away, but your word will never pass away. We have good doctors, we have good nurses, we have got good brothers and sisters, but only you can provide the healing. Lord Jesus Christ, may you have mercy upon your people this morning. We want to remember Brother Troy, who is going through surgery. May your angels be with him, Lord, in that, in that room. If it was, Lord God, our desire would be that he doesn't have to go through that surgery. But Lord, whether through surgery or through a miracle, 
we are believing you for healing. And all those prayer requests that have been mentioned this morning, Brother Keith, Brother Ben McCaffrey, oh God, we're just committing them into your hands. For your hand is mighty to deliver and your hand is mighty to heal. Your presence this morning, Lord, may it come, Father, and just lift away the burden from your people. Oh Lord, we know that we are living in the last days and there's a great press and a great pressure upon the people. But we also know that you have given us your Holy Spirit in its fullness through the opening of the word. May you take the pastor aside and Lord, may you speak directly to your people that Father, at the end of the service, we may go back different than the way we came in. We are committing this service into your hands. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. let you have your seats. Amen. Sister Becky, if you'd just continue playing that, we're going to sing a little song here. Just before we have Brother Matt come up and give us a special. And I'd just like to say that the uh, seems the well of special songs seems to have run dry. And uh, just a little note to be thinking about that. There's a lot of talent in the church and a lot of people that we love to hear sing. Amen. I know sometimes you sing those songs, it seems like very repetitive to yourself, but they're a real blessing to other people. You don't know just what it does to someone's spirit to lift them up when you sing that certain song. Amen. So don't be afraid to see one of us song leaders or even the pastor and let them, or the deacon, let them know you have a, a song, write it on a note, and they'll pass it up to me and we'll have you come and sing a special sometime. Amen. Let's sing that little song Sister Becky was playing just before met Brother Matt comes. I can do all things through Christ who brings me strength. But sometimes I wonder what he can do through me. So great success to show. Yeah. 
just as he's coming, we have a, a short announcement to make. Uh, Brother Pete, uh, Brother Peter uh, told me to make this announcement. Uh, the youth event for ages 13 and up uh, for February the 17th, uh, 4, 4 p.m. at the Ivy's home. So if you would just be uh, mindful of that and you would re-RSVP uh, with Sister Rachel Coffey. Amen. Thank you. Well, I know everybody knows this one. <clears throat> I'm singing it by request, so I hope you're hope nobody's tired of it, but I'm always happy to get a request for it.
if not for grace. One more time on the course. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. I once was lost, oh, but now I'm found. I was a hopeless case, lost in If not for grace, a hopeless case, lost in space. If not for sing a song just as our pastor comes let's stand to our feet my chains are gone been set free amen deacons if you would make your way forward at this time just before we sing we'll take up our morning offering <clears throat> Brother Tom, if you lead us in prayer over that, sir.
chains are gone. My chains are gone. Hallelujah. I've been set free. Glory. My God, my Savior has ransomed me. like to pray with you this morning as we open up because I think the atmosphere is just right for us to pray. And I would like to ask you to remember two things. Number one, we want to remember Brother Keith. And uh, <clears throat> just uh, anytime they make any sort of a change in Brother Keith's medicine and treatment, it affects him and he certainly had a rough night last night. So I'd ask you to remember him. He also has to go tomorrow uh, and talk to the people in relation to um, transplant. So that'll be tomorrow. That's a big uh, appointment for him and a big life change. And so we certainly want to remember Brother Keith in prayer. <clears throat> I'd like to say this, and Brother Keith's not here, but I know he's listening this morning. I really appreciated him coming up to Virginia last week. He roasted an 11-pound ham and got in the car and drove it up himself. And I said, Keith, don't do it. He said, I'm going to do it. I said, don't do it. He said, I'm going to do it. I said, don't do it. And he shows up on my door and knocks on the door. He said, here's your hand. Loved it. Loved to be back out on the road again. I'll tell you what. You know what we did? We enjoyed that ham. We enjoyed it a whole lot. And I appreciated him doing that. The second thing I wanted to mention to you is that we believe that God answers prayer, don't we? I mean, otherwise, why pray? But we believe that our God hears us, and we believe that he answers prayer. And I believe he's a miracle-working God. And I'd like to say to you this morning, your brother and sister Drum are not here today. And last week, Brother Drum went to his specialist. They did a raft of tests. They, did, they tested him inside and out. And they looked at his liver and the problems that were there and, you know, the cancer and different things like that. The doctor told him, he said, I'm almost embarrassed. He said, there's not a shred of anything wrong with you. He said, I want you to go home. And if you ever have a need, he said, you give me a call. Otherwise, he said, I'm not expecting to see you around here anymore. That's our goal. That's our God. And that's why we pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this gathering. And thank you for your lovely presence here. <clears throat> Already today, it's almost overwhelming. It's just such a wonderful place to be. And I believe, Lord, it is merely a foretaste of glory divine. For, Lord, it's unimaginable what it would be like when all of your people all of our family gather on the other side and you step out in front of us. <clears throat> and we won't have to close our eyes anymore to think about you or speak to you. We'll be able to open our eyes and be able to see you and worship you. What a great day that will be. In the name of Jesus Christ, I commit the balance of this service now into your hands, Lord. We thank you, O oh God, for the 
answer to prayers for Brother Joe Drum. And we ask, Lord Jesus, that you would give him now continuing strength, Lord. And may you bind up his wounds, I pray, and Lord, restore them back to our assembly again. We love Brother Joe and Sister Frida, and we ask, dear God, that you would be their strength and their portion. I pray also, Lord, that you would bless Brother Keith and how we curse that affliction, Lord, that has encumbered him and kept him, Lord, from this assembly and, Lord, the blessing that he is. And so we bind our faith together and ask in the name of Jesus and, Lord, you would minister to him today. Give him strength, Lord. We pray that he would not have to have anything transplanted. That would be our prayer, Lord. But the very best thing we can do is commit him into your hands. We believe you to be a miracle-working God. And we're, Lord, we're asking for that miracle for Brother Keith to restore him again. We love you, Lord, and ask your blessing upon this service. Forgive us of anything that may be contrary to the moving of the Holy Spirit. And, Lord, continue to have your way. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord. You can be seated this morning. Thank you, musicians. Lovely song service today, and we appreciate that very much. Uh, and if you don't mind... Uh, we'll let them get their seats for a moment here. And then uh, I'd like to do just a couple of announcements. And I just wanted to speak to you from my heart this morning uh, over a couple of things here. Now, I came off without um, my cards. Let me, uh, let me welcome all of you here today. Uh, I see a bunch of Harveys scattered around through the congregation here and we're delighted to have them and uh sister harvey this is your mom anna right and from i heard something about holland is that true canada oh that's a foreign country that's that's uh good to have you here from canada thank you sister becky um <clears throat> well uh let me just rip down through a couple of these things, and then I want to speak to you just a little bit here. It's great also to have Brother Daniel back from Ghana uh, slipped in the back there, and, and great to have him and uh, just each and every one of you today. We appreciate you all. We do need some helpers for our banquet, and so uh, I'm not sure how much guilt I need to lay on all of our older young people, but uh, if you uh, want to help out, uh, you can see Sister Becky or myself uh, to help out on the banquet February 10th. We're nearing our closing time for registration. We still have a few slots that are left open, and uh, we would like you to sign up or spread the word, and folks are certainly still welcome to sign up as long as there is space. The bad news is today <clears throat> that you're in a church now that has no water pressure. There is a break in the line, and so I imagine we'll have everybody stay in the sanctuary to hold service. There's no they're, they're attempting to repair the water line, so we'll let you know if that happens here. But right now, uh, there is no water. Now, I had talked to you about doing a, a tech presentation uh, on Wednesday night. We're going to do it on February 7th, so it will not be this Wednesday night. It'll be the following Wednesday night. And I've seen some of the previews of stuff coming, and I know it's going to be good and good conversation for us. I want to say that uh, this morning, just at the outset, that I really do... Uh, from my heart and from Sister Becky, we really do appreciate everything that was done for us and the loss of her father. And uh, <clears throat> it was um, uh, certainly a, a difficult time, bittersweet in many ways, but uh, we appreciated how everyone responded. And many of you came 
uh, for the viewing or the funeral. It was touching to have so many people there and then to send gifts and, you know, provide meals. We didn't have to think about a thing. It was just done for us, and it, it was just such a great blessing. Uh, we have two cards here very quickly that I wanted to read, and one of them was uh, we'd like to thank each of you uh, who took time to come and support us in the loss of uh, Brother Fulcher, and we can't fully express how much we uh, your love and care and concern. We appreciate all of the food and all the care. And then also the beautiful flowers that were sent uh, from the church, and it was just uh, uh, just a great, uh, great blessing, great reminder that we are loved. Um, for Sister Becky uh, and, and myself, especially her, 12 years has been a long time, and she's cared for her mom and for her until she passed away, and then her dad, uh, she did every... Uh, every single day, uh, she did something in terms of care for her parents, uh, whether it's filling medicine boxes or arranging caregiver schedules, which is a uh, monumental task, uh, or taking them to doctor's appointments and arranging all the hospital visits and doctor's appointments. Uh, sometimes she'd just take him in the car and go to the lake and sit by the lake, grab supper and just sit by the lake, and he just loved to do that, or take him out for an ice cream cone. And uh, just they spent a lot of precious time together. Wednesday night, two Wednesday nights ago, I was here. Um, I, I got the word right after church that he wasn't doing very well. And uh, it was not Sister Becky's evening to, to be there. And uh, there was a, a juggle or a shift in the schedule, which is quite normal. And uh, the caregiver that was supposed to be there was not there. So Sister Becky said, well, I'll go. And it was like, this is the way I look at it, it was like the Lord pushed everyone else aside and said, all right, everybody, we're going to give you the night off. Everybody take, take a, a step back, and we're just going to let Sister Becky come and be with her father. And uh, because of the sickness that we've had, we kind of missed those times, you know, personally with him. She cooked him up her favorite, uh, his favorite dinner and brought it over to him. They sat and had dinner. And then at 7 o'clock, turned on the service, and they watched our service here uh, at HPT. As a matter of fact, my father-in-law said at the end of the service, he said, Barry did pretty good. <laughs> <clears throat> so he enjoyed the service, and uh, uh, they spent that time together. He gave her a list during the conversation of the, in the evening, about four hours. He gave her a list, and uh, he said, now listen, Becky. He said, I want you to talk to Dr. Beato, and I want you to have him arrange to get me a lung transplant. I need a new lung. He said, and I also want to have my eyes fixed. He said, these glasses are not working or my eyes change. I want you to go to the dentist and call him because i got a tooth that's broken here. And a couple of other things that he listed. She's got the list. She sat there and wrote it down and has the list on a piece of paper. It's hilarious. I mean, you know, in a sense, the things he thought about. And about two hours later, he had it all. It was just amazing. And so when the service was over and Sister Kim Weeks came, she was going to stay overnight. That's her normal routine. They took him to the restroom and on his way back. His legs gave out. They brought him to his chair. He couldn't make it. They laid him down. And this is how it happened. And I know that because my wife FaceTimed me. And as I was pulling out and leaving for home, she FaceTimed me. And she said, this is what Pappy looks like. What do you think we should do? And I said, call 911 right away. Call 911. And I said, I'll pray. 
She sat down on the floor with him, hugged him. He took a breath. He bowed his head like this. And I saw this. He took he bowed his head like this. And he went home. There was nothing else happened. He just bowed his head, took a last breath, and went home. And there was no more pulse. They came and they tried to revive him with, you know, the EMS boys and did a great, wonderful job. But there was no reviving him. They did everything they possibly could. There was no reviving him. It was God's time. And God had said, I'm going to push everything aside and just allow Becky and him to have that moment together, that few hours together, and uh, to be able to just spend that uh, time, uh, you know, with one another. And... uh, have the list of all the new body parts he wanted and then uh, step right into them. I mean, it's just, it's just absolutely amazing. Just absolutely, it was supernatural. And uh, I, uh, I arrived just after the uh, EMS personnel stood up and they took their hands off him. They had a, uh, a DNR and they took their hands off him and they said, there's nothing more we can do. And I, I, I rolled in through the door and um, then, uh, you know, they took him and so forth and, and um, the rest, most of the rest you know. But, uh, you know, he was a person who loved the Lord. And we, at his funeral, we took his Bible and a little stack of spoken word books because he loved those. He read those right to the very end, the last day of his life, and marked them up. He had a pen and marked them all up. And uh, we took his Bible and spoken word books and brought them to the funeral and put them on his coffin there. And uh, that, was, that was his life. That's what he loved. And uh, so I just want to say that, uh, <clears throat> you know, we... Uh, certainly do appreciate all of your concern and your love for us. And, you know, we were leaving out of the funeral home um, on, on the viewing Sunday night. And it's a bit of a blur, but on Sunday night we were leaving. And one of the funeral home guys came to me and tapped me on the shoulder and said, Hey, uh, we got a, few, we got a um, fruit basket for you. Somebody left a fruit basket for you. And I said, Okay, I'll take it out. And they said, No, no, we'll take it out for you. And it was this mammoth fruit basket. I mean, it was just a monster of a fruit basket. And David and Karen had uh, sent that up to us. As I said, we like, we like fruit. And they sent this basket. I mean, it was this big. Um, I mean, it was big. And we're, we're still eating on it. And, and let me tell you, David and Karen, we, we really do appreciate that. And then, you know, all the, the church supplied a dinner after the funeral service and just so many other ways that you showed your love and uh, we, we really do appreciate that. But you, if you don't mind, uh, be patient with us. We have a lot of changes uh, that we have to think about, and uh, there's a lot of um, a lot of uh, decisions that we have to make, and and things that we're praying about and thinking about. But after 12 years, we just need a little space and a little just a little time to kind of let the dust settle and and let things work out. So we appreciate uh, your patience in that area. We've had good ministry while I've not been here, and uh, I've enjoyed the ministry because I listen to all the services and and appreciate Aaron and John and Matt and different ones, you know, Brother Tim, and uh, appreciate everybody's help and and, uh, their their willingness just to jump in, and so we appreciate uh, that very much. Now, if you don't mind, uh, I just want to give a couple of birthdays, and then then we'll jump right into the Word. I missed a couple. Uh, January 22nd, uh, Elwin and Rowan Cockman, uh, who were outside in the nursery there, uh, was their birthday on January 22nd, with Sister Grace, right? And uh, Sister Grace is going to New Zealand tomorrow, and we wish you to bring uh, our greetings to Brother Ulray and uh, the crowd down there, and very good brothers down there. January 24th, Lydia Clayville's birthday, right? 
right? January 25th, Dr. Mail, his birthday. How old are you, Dr. Mail? Not telling. Sister, how old is he? 39. Wow. I didn't know he was that old. January 27th is, was Sister, uh, Sister Brown, right? Sister Chanel. Sister Chanel, we appreciate you very much. That was yesterday, right? And we appreciate you very much and all you do for us. And it was also Jace Botha's birthday, right? Where's Jace? Where is he? Jace, how old are you on your birthday? Ten years old. God bless you. And 29th, which is tomorrow, is Brother Keith's birthday. The 30th is Sister Sabrina's birthday, right? God bless you, Sister Sabrina. January 31st is Brian McCall's birthday. And also Catherine Pritchard's birthday, right? How old are you going to be, Catherine? Ten and proud of it. February 1st is Levine's birthday, right? How old are you, Levine? 23. God bless you and happy birthday. Sister, or Sister Shirley Lingle has a birthday on February 20th, right? Sister Shirley? It's February 2nd. God bless you on your birthday. Also, that's Troy Hughes' birthday, right? Brother Troy, God bless you. We're praying for you. And then February 3rd is Macy Stevens' birthday, right? How old are you going to be, Macy? 12 years old. Wow. Time is marching on. Let's stand to our feet. Let's look in the book of Judges, if you will. Despite the fact that Noah said, not again, let's talk about the harvest. Let's talk about it in a little different way. <clears throat> Judges chapter 3. No, he was, only, he was only joking me. I'm going to do this without a PowerPoint today. But I want you to keep your Bible open to the book of Judges. And we're going to begin in, verse, in chapter 3 and verse 31. And after him, and him refers to Ehud, who was the second, he, the second judge, was Shamgar, who was the third judge, the son of Anath which slew of the Philistines 600 men with an ox goad. And he also delivered Israel. May God add his blessing. You may be seated. I'm going to talk to you a little bit about this harvest principle a little differently today. <clears throat> because I want to show you something that did happen in a harvest season in the Old Testament. There were 13 judges that appeared after Joshua. And these were all men who were of the people. They were not born prophets. They were not reformers like Martin Luther. They were just common people from the congregation. But they were anointed of God to continue the personal governance of Israel after Joshua and before Prophets came again. And in the promised land, God allowed this season where these judges were used of God uh, to, to deliver Israel. They didn't bring any commandments. They didn't bring any laws. Uh, they didn't change very much, really. But they were an answer to the people's prayer. And they were an extension of God's grace to the people. The problem with the book of Judges, and you'll find it all the way through... Uh, is found in Josh, uh, Judges chapter 17, verse 6. You don't need to turn to it because you know the verse. It says, every man did that which was right in his own eyes. 
That's a real problem. And you know what? It wasn't just a problem in the days of the judges. It's a problem every, in, in any time, in any season, that's a problem. When people start figuring, well, you know what? If God's not going to do anything, and if God's not going to find me a wife, and after all, I'm 18 years old, I'm going to go out in the world and find my own. Or if, uh, you know, if the pastor doesn't shake my hand after church, uh, you know what? I'm going to find me, myself another assembly. And, and people start taking things into their own hands and they start uh, making decisions that are not inspired by the Holy Spirit. Or if churches begin to move or shift uh, in ways that are not governed or blessed by the Holy Spirit, you're going to run into problems. And one of the things that we find is a common theme through the book of Judges is this, this mindset that every man, individually, people started to do things that they, they felt were own right in their own judgment. Let me tell you something. This is not a day for you to be operating by your own mental power. This is not a day for you to be uh, you know, making decisions that are not inspired by the Holy Spirit. You want to wait on God. You really do want to wait on God. And you want to trust God uh, for the things that are going to happen in your life. I'll tell you what, I, I, you know, I, I, I'm, whenever I'm away, I miss the people, I miss you guys, and I just love to be back. It's just, and I'm not just saying that because it's a nice thing to say. I really do. I miss being here. I miss ministering here when I don't get an opportunity to speak. And uh, I, I say that uh, very sincerely because I don't need to go anywhere else in the world to preach to feel good as a preacher. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm good here. And uh, I mean that with all my heart. But one of the things I like about uh, HBT is the prayer part. You know that? I like, I like it when I can bring a prayer request to you, and I see you, as many of you people do this, and they take out their pen and write that down and make a note of it because, you know what? We're going to go home and pray about that. We're going to keep that on our, on our fridge door, and we're going uh, to remember that. We're going to, in our devotions or whatever else. And I love the prayer part uh, that exists here in our church. And people come to me and they, you know, they say, well, I'm going through this or I'm going to have this done or I got a job interview or something else. And I often ask them, is it, is it okay if I present it to the church? And the reason I do that uh, is, is simply because I know, I do believe that you folks pray. Now, there are some unspoken requests, and that's perfectly okay. And sometimes we, we don't even mention them until after the fact uh, that God answered prayer. And here's how he did it. And you didn't even know about it. And so sometimes we say an unspoken request. But <clears throat> I, love the, I, I love the fact that, uh, you know, when many of you knew that uh, our, my father-in-law had passed away, that immediately people said, hey, we're praying for you. And I, I know that's not just always a pat answer. I know that that's a real thing. <clears throat> And I also know this too, that, that you know, in our, in, our, in our journey, in our experience with God, we are the kind of people who love outcomes. We love to have things uh, resolve themselves. We like to see the answer to something, don't we? Many times we pray because we like to see that thing come to an end, whether it's a, a sickness or a marriage problem or a family problem or, uh, you know, things that happen in the church. But, you know, I'll tell you what. God loves the journey. And sometimes he doesn't always answer real quick. He does sometimes, but not all the time. And that doesn't mean that God doesn't love you, neither that God doesn't hear you. God loves the journey. He loves the journey you're on. And he loves to be able to bring uh, character and, uh, you know, all, all the virtues out of you that uh, he wants to see in you because uh, it, it is something that uh, God de is, uh, he, de he esteems very highly is the character that we are supposed to take uh, with, with us when we leave here. And so God loves the relationship. God loves the journey. 
And you know what? For me, it's not so important what tomorrow holds. What's important is who we're walking with. That's what really counts, isn't it? You know what? As long as I know I'm walking with him, it's going to be all right. I'm going to get to where I need to be. It's who I'm walking with that really matters. And there's a lot of people who, even in the days of Jesus, and you'll find this in John chapter 6, you know, the 70 turned away from Jesus and they walked away. And the disciples disciples were sitting there and Jesus turned to them and he said, "Uh, Wilt thou also go? And I love their answer. I love their answer in John chapter 6 because they said, Thou hast the words of eternal life. To whom else can we go? Thou alone has the words of eternal life. In other words, when you speak, I come alive. When you speak, I, all of a sudden, I'm reminded of my reason to be alive. When you speak, it's like my purpose is made clear again. And I love that. And there's nothing that replaces that. It is something that we've encountered when, uh, you know, we heard the voice of God and we continue to hear the voice of God. All of a sudden, everything else in life doesn't make sense. God allowed you to hear something. That, that means everything else in life doesn't make sense. And, and the way people think and the, and the destiny of the world and all the different decisions that are made, let me tell you, a lot of it really doesn't matter. We've heard something that matters and changes our life. And so therefore, you know, God is essentially saying, I'm the God who's omnipresent. I'm everywhere, but I want to be somewhere. And the somewhere I want to be is in you. I'm the God of everywhere, but I want to be somewhere. And that somewhere is in your heart. And, and, and it's, to me, it's a beautiful thing how uh, that God, God desires that kind of a fellowship uh, with us. And it's a beautiful thing to see people that enjoy that and embrace that and walk with that. And I wanted to say that, you know, as we, as we look at this uh, little passage here in relation to uh, Shamgar, and there's only one verse, and Brother Branham said, there's not much written about Shamgar, but he said, what's written is just enough. And he derived a few things from that, uh, from that little verse and uh, what he knew about Shamgar. And he filled in some of the details for us. And uh, I, I'm not going to, uh, I didn't bring a whole lot of quotes or anything for you today. I'm going to paraphrase some of it. Uh, but I, I just wanted to answer this question with you this morning. And that is, if God determined through Father Abraham that this was going to be the promised land, And this was going to be the place that I'm going to live with my people forever. If this is the promised land, when the children of Israel came back to it under Moses and now under Joshua, why did God leave all those inhabitants in the land? Like, why didn't God just have a great big earthquake and swallow them all up? Or why wasn't their fire fell from heaven and destroyed them all? Because they became enemies of the people of God. And why didn't God take care of it? He didn't. They were still there when the children of Israel came in. And God decided to leave him in there when the children of Israel were entering into the land. What was God thinking when all of these nations were still there? Well, let's answer that together because that's a great question. And you'll, you'll see some interesting principles as they develop here. If you don't mind, go back in the book of Judges here to the, uh, chapter 2. The Bible says in verse 1 that an angel of the Lord came and said, now, this is interesting. Here's the congregation of the children of Israel. It doesn't, it doesn't say that this angel came to one person, but the angel came to them, and he made a statement. He said, I made you go up out of Egypt and have brought you unto the land which I swear unto your fathers. And I said, I'll never break my covenant with you. 
This is what I said I would do, and and I, I have done it. And you shall make no league with the inhabitants of this land. And you shall throw down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? So when you came into the land, he said you were told not to make any league. And a league means that we're going to have some sort of alliance, or we're going to have some sort of a, a situation where, uh, you know, intermarriage, or some sort of an arrangement where we enter into covenants and deals with the people. And God said to them through this angel, you're not supposed to do that at all. Then he says, wherefore also, verse 3, I will not drive them out from before you, but they shall be as thorns in your sides, and their God shall be a snare unto you. Ah, let's look at that. Wherefore I said unto you, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall be as thorns in your sides. And their emphasis on sports shall be as, oh, I'm sorry, their website shall be, I'm sorry, <laughs> their love for money shall be as, should I not have said that? They're gods. We live in a world where there's a multitude of gods. I've traveled through India and places like that where everybody's got a god. I saw people go down the street with wheelbarrows and have their god in it. Statues. I saw a fellow carrying a little temple that was dedicated to monkeys. And he had his temple in the wheelbarrow and had about a dozen monkeys in and around the wheelbarrow. And I looked at that and I thought, wow, that's pretty funny. I'd love to have some of those for my nieces and nephews. And somebody said, no, no, that's his God. He's carrying around his God and he worships that God and makes money uh, with that God. There are millions and millions of gods in a place like India. And this is what the angel told them. He said, I will not drive them out from before you, but they shall be as thorns in your sides. Why would God give them thorns? Their God shall be a snare. Snare is a trap. And if it shall come to pass, and the angel of the Lord spake these words, all the children of Israel, that the people lifted up their voice and wept. Now, why would they weep? Because they knew they had done something wrong. They knew they were caught, if you like. They knew that somehow or another God knew something that they didn't think God knew. So now all of a sudden they're in this place. Oh, man. They lift up their voices and they begin to weep. Well, let's go back a little further, all right? Go back to chapter 1. And I'd like you to look at what happens there in verse 21. Watch this verse. And the children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites that inhabited Jerusalem. Now, didn't God say to them, and you know, you've read this in different places there, that God said, when, I, when, I, when you go in, I want you to drive out the inhabitants of the land. Make no league with them. Make no covenants with them. He says that in many different places in Scripture. And he did when the, when the children of Israel under, under Joshua came into the land. But the children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites that inhabited Jerusalem. But the Jebusites dwell with the children of Benjamin in Jerusalem unto this day. If you have ever been to Jerusalem, you'll know there is a Jewish quarter. There is also an Arab quarter. There's also uh, an Orthodox quarter. There's a number of different quarters in the city. Probably the maximum is four. (laughs) I'm just deducing that. But Jerusalem is divided. And when you get into the Arab section, you know you're in the Arab section. And when you get in the Jewish section, you know you're in the Jewish section if you've ever been. And, And this is amazing that even unto this day, the children of the Jebusites are still there. Because Benjamin 
didn't drive him out. Why not? Let's go a little further. 27. Neither did Manasseh drive out the inhabitants of Bethshean and her towns, nor Tanakh and her towns, and the inhabitants of Dor and her towns, and so on, all the way down. Verse 28. And it came to pass when Israel was strong. Notice. Not in their weakness. Because whenever people come to a position of weakness, they cry out to God. God's people cry out to God when they come in a position of weakness. Sometimes your enemy is your strength. I said sometimes your your enemy can be your past successes. Because you feel like, well, you know, I I accomplished this, I did this, and God helped me do this, and God anointed me to do this. And you know what? In a sense, you can, if you're not careful, you can begin to feel you're above the law. Oh, God's going to look after me. God's going to help me out. And when they were, it's interesting, the wording here, and it came to pass when they were strong, that they put the Canaanites to tribute and did not utterly drive them out. Uh, now here's where you go, aha, uh-huh. it's, <laughs> it's tribute money. It's taxes. So these Jewish people saw these inhabitants in the city having businesses and having revenue and having lots of cows and sheep and goats and fabric businesses and all the rest of it, tent makers, sandal makers, chariot makers, sword makers, all of that, doing a thriving business. And they said, you know what? We can drive them all out and they'd be gone. But we can also let them know that we're the conquering power. Now you owe us taxes. That's not an unusual thing. Roman Empire did that for years. And the, uh, under Alexander, when Alexander conquered the world, did that. They go into an area, they see all the inhabitants of the land there, and uh, they, they would say, all right, everybody, the government has changed, the administration has changed, and now when you pay your taxes, you make the check out to this person, not that person, and you add more to this check than you did back then. And that's how those invading empires paid for their soldiers and paid for their uh, conquests. Paid for the wars that they fought. It's, that was kind of a fact of life. And, and so when the Benjaminites got in there and, and the other tribes, and they looked at that and they said, ah, you know what? We're in control. <laughs> and I mean, we're in the land. We got it. And, and they're not going to fight us. Why not exact a little revenue? I mean, after all, Didn't we take revenue from the Egyptians when we left the land? Remember when they broke off their earrings and took their rings and all of that? Remember that? And gave it to the children of Israel as they left the land? Remember that? And these are the descendants of those people. And they're saying, oh, man, maybe we could just leave them there and collect revenue. Verse 29 says, neither did Ephraim. 30 says, neither did Zebulun. 31, neither did Asher, 33. In other words, it it caught on. (laughs) Word spread. Somebody texted somebody. 34, and the Amorites forced the children of Dan and all all the west down through here. And chapter 2, verse 1, and an angel of the Lord shows up. And he says, boys, we've got a problem. I'm here from Houston. Houston, we've got a problem. Seven, and the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and I'm in chapter 2, verse 7, and all the elders that outlived Joshua had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. 
And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance and so forth. And then it says in 10, this is important here, and also all that generation who came after Brother Branham were gathered unto their fathers and there arose another generation. Hello? The Brother Branham's not here. Right? Joshua's not there. All the elders who saw the great works of God walked across the Red Sea. They're all gone. And another generation after them. Here's where you come in. Because you are another generation. Look on the front rows. And I love to see new generations sit on the front rows. I think it's great. I don't know what's wrong with the first row here. Is it because you, you tend to feel I use the people in that row or something? I'm not really sure. Either way, I love to see new generations sitting on the front row. I think it's a wonderful thing. And another generation says, God says by another generation, that you know what? Time moves on. I think it's a great thing. I think it's a great thing that we have young families. Because I think that's how church, good churches are built. When you have young families and they grow up and they want to put their kids in Sunday school. And hey, how can we help? And you get, all of a sudden you get a momentum that's going. And that's a good thing. Another generation is not a bad thing. And that's, that's not what God is saying right here, that it's a bad thing. But he says, there arose another generation which knew not the Lord. Ha! And yet the works, and yet the works which he had done for Israel. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam? When grandma and grandpa walked over on the dry ground in the Red Sea, and now two or three generations later, you know what? They're serving Balaam. Now God solves the Balaam problem a couple of different ways. And you know, there's prophets of Baal that eventually run into Elijah up on top of Mount Carmel. And God's continually saying, you know what? Balaam's a loser. Don't follow him. But here's a group of people that were not far from Joshua himself. They were not far from the actual events that define them as being inhabitants of this new land. Are you with me this morning? Don't go anywhere. I'm not going to be long. I'm not going to be complicated. But the warning is, the warning is here in this book of Judges that there were people there that figured out, hey, you know what? We're here. We're, we're God's people. He's reminded us of that over and over again. We are here supernaturally. We got here by a promise of God that he made, and so he cared for us in all those generations to get us after 400 years and get us here after Father Abraham. He, he's a God who loves us. He's a God who cares for us. As a matter of fact, God cares for us, and our water is fixed. He still cares for us. Do you believe that? <clears throat> but, but they're the people that are sitting there saying, wow, you know, I mean, this is, yeah, we're, this is all right. I mean, we got our own land we didn't pay for. We have our own uh, place now. We, our tribe has a piece of land that we can call the tribe of Dan. I don't know if you've ever been to the tribe of Dan. It's a beautiful spot. I don't know why Dan got such a beautiful spot, but they did. And here they are now in their own place, paid nothing for it, just had to march a little while and, and go through the wilderness. But here they are. And all of a sudden, when this group of the elders pass away, there comes another wave, and these folks are all of a sudden serving Balaam. Verse 12, and they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land. Followed other gods. It's amazing. The gods of the people were round about them and bowed themselves unto them and provoked the Lord to anger. Verse 14 says, and the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he delivered them into the hands of spoilers. <clears throat> spoilers. Spoilers are things that ruin your day. Right? Spoilers are things that God will allow to happen in your life that make you turn to God. 
They're just aggravating enough, and they're, just, they're not going to kill you, but they're aggravating enough that you're going to turn to God because God wants you to turn to Him. For some of you guys who have a job and you feel like, oh, I got this forever. <laughs> you know, God can, sell a, God can send a Chinese spoiler your way, right? God can send a Mexican spoiler your way. And the security you thought you had, all of a sudden now, goes got spoiled. And you think, oh, my boss told me I'll be here forever. And it's funny, your boss is not there anymore. <laughs> you know what? We ought to say, Lord willing. We ought to say, I am what I am by the grace of God, and I'm here by the grace of God. I'm married. My wife will never leave me. I'll tell you what. I'll give you a piece of advice. You make sure you fight for harmony in your marriage. Not fight your spouse, but fight for the harmony and the love and the consistency in your marriage because the spoiler is going to come try to mess that up. Spoiler is going to come at your children. Spoiler is going to come at your relationships and try to make things, uh, make things messy. And it's all designed. It's all designed because things that happen to us don't happen by chance. Are you following me? But they happen because sometimes God wants us to get our attention. Go down to 16. Nevertheless, Lord raised up judges. So they were rebellious. And, and uh, even verse 15 says that the people were greatly distressed. But it says that nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges which delivered them out of the hand of those that spoil them. It's amazing. I mean, they, 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 would, they would have a judge, and the judge would defeat the enemy, like, kind of like Samson. You know, he'd beat up all those soldiers, and then they'd have peace for 40 years. And then all of a sudden, they begin to forget God, and they go back into uh, sin again. And then this army would come as spoilers. They'd come and overtake them, and they cry out to God, and God said, all right, I'll do it again. And he does it over and over and over again. Don't tell me that there's not grace in the Old Testament. They did not deserve that, but God did that for them. The language is actually pretty strong. And verse 18 says, And when the Lord raised them up judges, that the Lord was with the judge and delivered them out of the hand of the enemies, all uh, out of the hand of their enemies, all the days of the judge. For it repented the Lord because of their groanings by reason. Okay. Okay. But why? What was God's purpose? I mean, why didn't he just destroy all of these people here? Go down to verse 20. And the anger, anger of the Lord was hot against Israel again. And he said, because this people has transgressed my covenant, which I have commanded their fathers, I have not hearkened unto my voice. I will also, because they've done this again, I will not henceforth drive out any from before them of the, of the nations which Joshua left when he died. I'm not going to drive them out. That through them, I may prove Israel. Whether they'll keep the way of the Lord therein as their fathers did keep it or not therefore the lord left those nations without driving them out hastily neither delivered he them into the hands of joshua so god allowed them to to remain there god said i'm going to use them i'm going to use them to try them to prove them (laughs) you know what god still does that doesn't he Let's just take an example, okay? Let's just say that Joe, who is suave, charismatic, handsome, independently wealthy, and certainly popular. And he goes to a particular gathering of young people. It might be a camp, and all of a sudden there's a girl there. Oh, that's not unusual. 
That's not unusual at all. Because usually when you see Joe at a camp, there's a gaggle of girls behind him somewhere. (laughs) But let's just say all of a sudden one of those girls bats her eyes just a certain way. And Joe says, hmm, that's all he needs to say. Sometimes, I'm not saying every time, but sometimes God can use that girl because he knows that girl. He knows that girl whether she's his future mate. He knows that girl whether she's going to, if she's a believer or not. Do you believe that God knows who's a believer even before they believe? Sure. Because God wants to see how he's going to react to that. He he wants to know, is he going to be led Or, sorry, Tyler, you are Tyler, right? I got to look twice every time you come into church, buddy. Or is Joe going to say, Lord, and do this? And say, Lord, before I get my emotions wound up here, and before my, all my electrons and nerves get fired up into overdrive, Lord, show me, is this the way? And you know what we're doing? We're trying Joe. God is is looking at that and saying, what has he learned? What has he understood out of the word when it comes to making the second most important decision in his life? Everybody following me? God still allows those nations to be there because he's going to use them to prove his people. They're not there for their eternal life. They're not there because they possess the promised land. They don't own it at all. They're only occupiers, right? They're only, uh, what do you call it? They're they're, uh, squatters. That's all they are. And they're still there. They're still in in Jerusalem. They're still in Israel. And that's, that's, uh, you know, that doesn't mean that they have eternal life just because they live in Jerusalem. And neither does it mean that you have eternal life because you come to HBT. But God will allow people and circumstances to try you because, you know what, when he finds the right one, he'll be a stronger person for it if he goes about it the right way. He'll know he can trust God. He'll know that he can depend on God to lead him. He'll know that God will prevent him from doing the wrong thing and helping him make the right choice. Are you following me? But if I, you know, if I came, if, I, if it was my job and I came and said, Joe, thus saith the Lord, Sister Marina is your, that's the one. Here's her email address. Here you go, buddy. Or sorry, I'm over 30. Here's her phone. Here you go. I mean, there'd be no challenge on his part to seek the Lord at all. But God wants you to seek him. God wants you to pursue him. Because I believe God knows the future. And when you say that and you pray that way, you're expressing your faith and trust in God. And that was Israel's problem. They said, you know, God said us to drive out all the inhabitants of the land. But you know what? Um, I don't think that really applies now. Because Moses is dead 65 years or something. So it doesn't really apply now. Hello? Just like the people who say, well, Brother Branham said that back in his day, but society was different. How's that going? Because, you know, you can change a lot of things because of society, right? You better be careful changing things that a vindicated prophet said. Because now it suits your circumstance. 
And you might feel like you don't need to pray or you don't need to follow the things that God laid down for your time. You know what? <clears throat> if, 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 God, if, if Joe allows God to prove him, he'll come out a better Joe. But if he doesn't, he says, well, man, she's so pretty. And you know what? She sings like a dove. And after, after we're married, I'll just bring her to HBT. And everybody's bride at HBT. So she'll just, she'll just fit right in. And it'll be okay. And what I understand about life is that marriage doesn't change you. For a girl, marriage only changes your last name. And gives you less of a spending limit on your credit card. <clears throat> it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing how that this story continues on in chapter 3. Now, let me underscore this whole thing. Stay with me. Ver verse 1 of chapter 3. Now, these are the nations which the Lord left to prove Israel by them, even as many of Israel as had not known the wars of Canaan, only that the generations of the children of Israel might know to teach them war. And at the least, such as before knew nothing thereof. Yeah, you read it right. God was going to teach them war. God was going to teach them warfare. God was going to teach them how to fight for what's yours. God was going to teach them how to stand on your feet and be a man. And be persistent. And to be dedicated and committed. And be in tune with your captain, which is Jesus Christ himself. God was going to teach them, hey, everything that, you've, everything that you've got and everything that you possess is not going to be handed to you on a platter. You're going to have to put your feet down on the ground. You're going to have to fight for it. Hey, nobody's going to come and cut your hair, guys. You've got to make a decision. I'm going to have my hair cut like a real Christian. Like my example. And my example of an adopted son was Brother Branham in this age. Is that all right? And so therefore, you know, there's a decision, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're a young guy, sometimes those decisions are made for you. But as you get older, uh, you know, there's decisions that you're going to make. And you girls look in the mirror and say, well, you know, this doesn't really fit, fit the grade. I'll tell you what, God will honor that when you make decisions that are based on his word, not necessarily because anybody's telling you that. Not because you come to church and the deacons look at that and say, really? You're coming in here with that? We don't need to play the shame game. Because we live not by legislation, we live by revelation. Isn't that right? And it's way, way better if our sister here, she looks at that in the mirror and says, Mom, Dad, what do you think? I mean, is this, and, and no, you know what? She's got a conviction about her, and she's going to change that because I heard Brother Barry say, or I heard a quote Brother Bram said, or I heard, you know, I read in my Bible that holiness is still very much, uh, you know, something that God loves, and so therefore she's doing that because the Word says. You know what? That's what we want in all of our young people, isn't it? That's what we want to have. And so God says, I'm going to leave those nations there to teach my people war. 
Because in this life, you're going to experience warfare all the time. You're going to have, you're going to have a struggle. You're going to have a push against you all the time. Because the devil does not want you to possess your land. He does not want you to possess your inheritance. He doesn't want you to have a new body. He doesn't want you to walk away confident because God blessed you and did something for you or healed your daughter or your son. God doesn't want you to, re- or sorry, Satan doesn't want you to rejoice over those things. He wants to discourage you and say, well, that was just a fluke of nature or whatever else. He, does, he doesn't want you to rejoice in the victory there. He's going to attack you and, and, and cause something to come your way. And you know what? God says, I'll teach him war. I'll teach him how to, uh, you know, dig in. I'll teach him how to hold their sword. I'll teach him how to put up their shield. I'll teach him how to have a comeback to the devil when he comes at him. Cast yourself down and see if the angels will come pick you up. He says, thou shall not tempt the Lord thy God. You know what he was doing? He was teaching us war. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is teaching us war. How does, a, how does a Christian fight? In the Old Testament, they got out a literal sword and cut somebody's literal head off. But when Jesus came, he says, you come back at, the, you come back at Satan with the word every time, and you watch, God will be behind you, and he'll take care of your enemy. He's teaching us war, but it's a new kind of war. It's a New Testament war. Isn't that right? Are you following me? This is the scene we find ourselves in. <clears throat> because you know what happens? I got to do this before we talk about Shamgar for a minute. But you know what the problem is? When you start to intermingle with the world and you don't, fit, you don't check the box on kicking out that stuff out of your life that shouldn't be there. You know what happens? This always happens. Verse 5. And the children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites. They dwelt among them. The Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Websites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and took their daughters to be their wives, gave their daughters to their sons, and served other gods. I've had, some, I've had a lot of people tell me in times past, they say, you know, uh, we've, we've, left, we've left the message church because we're just taking a, a break. Oh, yeah? What are you doing with your time? Well, we thought we'd go down to the Baptist church over here, or the Pentecostal church, because they have a great youth group. And they have really good music in the church. So we thought we'd just go and kind of hang out there for a while until God shows us what to do. And pretty soon, little Johnny has his eye on little Ruthie in the youth group. And little Billy, he gets his eye on Little Cindy in the choir. And now all of a sudden you have a tie between that family that ain't supposed to be there with a group that is going to be there because God allowed them to be there. And the longer that goes on, the messier it is to untangle that family from that. But come on, let's not kid yourself. You know what God's already said about denominational systems. And I, I don't, I'm not critical against the people, but the systems there, you know, if you're hanging around in a Baptist church or a Pentecostal church or something these days, you people that know the message that I'm talking about, you people that have been separated from it, and you go back to hang around with that, and you're waiting to see what God's going to show you. Hasn't God already shown you? Hasn't God already said? Very clearly. Come out of her, my people. Be not entangled in that yoke of bondage again. I've delivered you. Why do you go back into that? Now your kids are all kind of, you know, it's messy now. To disentangle yourselves now is going to be messy. 
You think they would have learned. You think they would have learned. But they didn't. <clears throat> so what does, what does God do? Verse 31 says he raised up a guy named Shangar. Shamgar. He's only got <clears throat> one verse. Brother Bram says, I'm going to paraphrase. That's all right. <clears throat> he says, Shamgar was living right at the time where it was harvest. The harvest time, he said he brought in all of his crops. He said he had a skinny old wife because she never had got much food. Been a hard year. Never had much food. He said her elbows were showing through her dress. And he said the kids, this is the way he said it, they were measly, peaked. Those are the words he used. Peaked kids. Kind of, no, no, I won't say. <laughs> and Brother Branham said that Shamgar, uh, you know, he, he was excited because he had grown, gone through the growing season, and now here he is right at the very end, and he said he's got his crops basically in the barn. He said, <laughs> Brother Bram said, oddly enough, he's got a nice barn, and he's got his crops in the barn, and he's thankful. Thank you, Lord, for the harvest. Amen. Living right, the work's done now, right? The work's done. Got everything in the harvest, in, in, the, in the barn. Now he can go down to the marketplace, and he can sell, bring back, hey, we're going to buy new uh, new uh, Bjorg sandals for the kids and uh, we're going to upgrade to a, a better car and all of that and <clears throat> better chariot and uh, you know I mean this is what a farmer works for is for that harvest and then Brother Branham says this now I'm going to tell you the way he says it okay <clears throat> he says Shamgar is on his porch one day and he's just looking out at the Field or all, everything's harvested. Looking at his barn, he's happy. And he says, he hears this sound. Trump, Trump, Trump. I'm not making this up. Trump, 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 Trump. You think I'm making this up. I'm not. Trump, 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 Trump. And he hears the sound of horses. And he says, over the horizon comes these Philistines. They must have been followers of Trump, 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 Trump. I'm only kidding. They're coming in on the field, and they came to Shamgar, rode right up to him, and they said, Hey, Shamgar, thanks a lot. You saved us a lot of work. Now that you've got everything, everything grown for us. You got everything grown. Thanks a lot. And they, they rode on their horses down towards the barn. Now, this is what Brother Branham said, and I'll paraphrase. He's standing in the field with an ox goad. This is an ox goad. Would you two guys stand up here for a second? <clears throat> you don't need your Bibles for this one. All right, you're my team of oxen. Face that way, shoulder to shoulder. Appreciate you guys. Don't worry. The ox goad was simply used for this. It was a stick, and on one end... It had a piece of brass bent over. It was nailed to the top of the stick and was bent over, so one end of the uh, brass was sharp. 
The reason they had that was because when the oxen, hey, <laughs> when the oxen were stubborn and didn't want to move on with the plow, the farmer would do this, and he'd hit them right there on the soft part of their thigh, and he'd jab that in there. <laughs> this is all right. <clears throat> and he'd make, he'd make those. <laughs> anybody, I'll give you $5. Anybody wants to do that. <clears throat> and, and that would prod the oxen on. The other end had a hook. And this hook would be used for getting mud off the plow. That's what it was for. And so that's, that's the implement that the farmer had. So <clears throat> Shamgar standing there with his ox code. And like I say, his oxen are in the barn. Okay, guys. And go to your barn. <laughs> Thank you. And uh, he's standing there with the ox coat and sees these guys coming. Trump, 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 trump. And he looks at him. He's not a warrior. He's not been trained as a warrior. These guys, Brother Ram said, were warriors from birth. 600 of them. Imagine. Imagine all of you, if all of you people were warriors and you came against me today. Wow. Multiply that by three. Imagine him standing there. And he's not a warrior. And he's not, he doesn't have time to go look up 12 easy steps for beating 600 men with an ox goat. <laughs> he doesn't have a Google search fast enough to do this, right? As they're coming at him. They're in his face. But here's what happened. Brother Bram said that he knew he was a Jew. That's the only thing he knew. I'm convinced of one thing that I'm a Jew. And what he did was he looked at those guys, and they were pretty big because they were all gluten soldiers. The Bible says that they were lusty, meaning they were big guys. They were heavyset guys trained for war. But then he does this. He looks back on the veranda, and his wife, his scrawny wife with the elbows out of her dress, she's standing there with the kids, and the kids are scrawny, peaked. And when he... When he looks at those kids, they look pretty small. I mean, we're, we're, we're sunk. And then he does this. He looks back at the 600 soldiers again. But this time when he looks back, you know what happens? They get smaller. And he looks back again at his family, and they get bigger. And Brother Bram said he looked again, and they got smaller again. And he says, then he looked at again, and the family got bigger. And he said, every time he did that, that enemy got smaller, and this one got bigger. And he picked up his ox goat, and he went after those guys, big, ugly guys. And whatever he did, the Bible doesn't say, but whatever he did, he killed 600 of them. 600 coming at this guy at the same time. And he's so anointed, he doesn't have time to go get a weapon. He's, I mean, he's probably got a gun. Everybody's got a gun. And he... He, he, doesn't, he, he doesn't go to the house. He doesn't go to the gun safe. He doesn't do anything else. He's just kind of caught standing there, and he just has this ox goat in his hand. And Brother Branham said, just like he said to Moses when Moses was sent down to Pharaoh, what's that in your hand? Pick up that stick that he's got in his hand. Throw it down. Watch what I'll do with it. And Brother Branham said, Shamgar did exactly the same thing. You guys are nervous, aren't you? You're not sure what I'm going to do with this ox goat. These two were oxen, but you guys are Philistines. And so... <clears throat> This, this ox goat, he says he took it up. And when he took it up, it came under the laws, the laws of another kingdom. 
Here's a man standing for the word. And Brother Bram said, when you stand for the word, he said, watch Christ stand for you. That's what he said. Watch Christ stand for you. And when Shamgar stood there on the word and his identity of being a true Jew, he had nothing else going for him, but he had a revelation of his identity and he had a stick in his hand. And God said, take those two things and watch what I do with it. And God so anointed him and blanketed him with his presence there that there was no Philistine that could get a sword through. There was nobody could get a spear through. There was nobody could ride over the top of him with a horse. But let me tell you, he's not just a defensive character. Stand up, Cohen, stand up right there. Stand up on your chair. It's all right. I'll talk to the maintenance people afterwards. Wow, he got big shoes. Hold on to this. You take a scrawny guy, because he's got a scrawny family, a scrawny guy, and he's standing there, and he looks out over them. And all of the, imagine all of these coming at him at the same time. How intimidating that must have been for him. And he's just standing there and probably took that ox goat and went like this. Hold on to that. Put that under your arm there. There you go. Holding on to that ox goat. Now he's in a position where he's not just defensive now. He's not just defending himself. He's on the aggression. He's, he's aggressive because he kills 600. He, he's not just passively saying, all right, back off. Everybody, back off or I'll hurt you. He doesn't do that. He said, I'm going to hurt you. Watch. And he goes after them and hurts them. To the point where they're dead. And he has no fear. The Bible says that he, the Bible doesn't say anything about his fear. Brother Bram doesn't say anything about his fear. He's just standing in his field. And he's got a family to defend. He's got a revelation that he's a Jew. And he's got something in his hand that God can use. We're going to end this service shortly, but I want you to do this. I want you to think about that God put you in the harvest time. And don't you think for a minute that Satan's going to just roll over and let you enjoy the harvest. Isn't it true that we've got the best, the fullness of the word that's come? The maturity of the word that's come. Hey, our barns are full. Isn't that right? Our barns are full. Ministries are full. Churches are full of good things to preach. And, and there's, there's a bounty of things that we can enjoy. There's a bounty of things that we can take with us every day. And we don't need to go hungry. Isn't it great? We don't need to go hungry. We're not in the growing season. We're not in the planting season. We're in a harvest season where you can reach out and enjoy whatever you want to enjoy. You can reach out. You can listen to a tape. You can listen to, you know, the seals. You can listen to the church ages. You can listen to Christ the mystery God reveal. You can listen to the rapture. You can read your Bible in any language on earth. And you can have it all in your phone and have it in your pocket. We've got a harvest, haven't we? We've got a bounty of good stuff that God's given us without money, without price. How many of you paid anything for the message you have on your phone? Or all of these sermons with PowerPoints that I put up here, and none of you have paid a nickel, uh, you know, to have that, oh, I don't have any money, so I can't come into church. God said, I'm going to provide it freely. I'm just going to bless you with a bounty in this last day like no other age. Like no other age. You think, wow, that's pretty neat. But let me tell you, I got news for you. The devil doesn't like that. And the devil's going to fight you and probably fight harder in the harvest time because that's where it's all readily available to enjoy. And somehow or another, he must know that if we enjoy enough of it, it's actually going to change our bodies. Right? It's going to change our bodies. And when you look at the bride, the bride is not a great number in the world. In a sense, the bride is a scrawny group. Right? 
just a measly, scrawny. Sometimes you feel like you're all alone. Sometimes you feel like, well, you know, I got just, we got a, l- a little church or, uh, you know, little groups. Brother Bram referred to, you know, little groups. He said, pastors that have a little group. And he said, they're trying to do the right thing. And they pray together over a need and, and God moves and somebody's healed in the church. And oh, they're, all, they're so excited. And he said, but the devil moves right in and says, oh, you know what? That's just in your head. The days of miracles stop when the apostles die. And Brother Bram said the devil will come right in, even if you're in the harvest time, big church, small church, he'll come right in and try to rob you of what you've got in this last day. And God's given us a storehouse like no other age in the history of the world. It's incredible. It's incredible that the people of the Judges chapter 1, 2, and the first part of 3, they're the kind of people that, even though they enjoy the blessing, it says a couple of verses later, but they went to follow Baal, and, uh, you know, they disregarded the God who delivered them, and uh, they, uh, as a result, they fell into sin. I said, shame on them. Shame on us if we attempt to turn the words of God into something that suits our lifestyle. Shame on us if we take the words of God and dilute them so that they fit better in Laodicea. Yeah. This word was never given for you to live comfortably in, in Laodicea. It was given for you to change your body and get you out of here because God's going to destroy this world with fire. Yeah. That's exactly what's going to happen. Yeah. And God's given you the, the revelation, the understanding. God's given you an ox code in your hand so that you can use against the enemy when he comes in against your children in your household. Hang on to that. You're going to need it. You men need to stand strong. You need to be men of God. You need to be real fathers that stand there and say, hey, I got a family, and my family is subject to attack like every other family out there. But you know what? God, I pray you to anoint my ox code and anoint what I've got in my hand and just allow your anointing to come over me so I'd have discernment to know how to deal with the problems that my children face. Because it isn't enough just to have a physical weapon. You've got to have the discernment to know when you've got to step in. Because you don't step in all the time, but you got to step in at certain times, right? And you got to, uh, you know, you got to take action at certain times, and you got to be there, be decisive. You got to, uh, you got to make decisions, and sometimes the decisions are not pleasant, right? Because there are lives that are affected by these decisions here, and and whether to move or whether to go to a church or whatever else, and uh, you know, like whether you're going to sell your house and different things, it'll affect a lot of things here. But you you need to have a, gr- a great measure of good discernment living in the day we're living in. Because the devil will love, will love it when you make stupid decisions. And that's why it's not a good thing for every man to do what's right in their own eyes. And that was a prevailing problem in the book of Judges. And to me, the great thing about the book of Shamgar is that it wasn't so much what Shamgar did. It was what God did through him. That's what's great. Because a lot of you are thinking, well, I'm just a nobody, I'm a nothing. You know, my elbows show through with my dress. I never sing a special and I never do much and I'm not known and all this. And I used to sing specials, but I don't anymore. We don't know why, but here, here you are and you think nobody notices you and so forth. You should never underestimate what God could do through you. In the harvest season with what God's given to us, what God's put in our storehouse, what God's put in our barn. You don't need to be in a physical part of the country somewhere and think, well, rapturing faith is stronger over there than over here. No, that's not the way it works. 
my pastor is more fiery. He's more sweaty at the end of the service than Brother Barry. So maybe I should go over there because he's got more anointing. No, it was Billy Sunday who said that inspiration is perspiration. But Brother Bram didn't say that. Hello. Remember, folks, it's the word. It's the word. And lots of people preach the word a little bit differently. But you know what you need to be? You need to have a revelation where you need to be. And you need to have an ox gold in your hand because the enemy is going to come. It's not, a, it's not an if. The enemy is going to come. So at your age, at your age, at your age, everybody's got to be, be aware that in the harvest time, Satan's not going to roll over. He's not going to roll over and say, oh, they made it to the bride age. Goodness. There's thanks, buddy. They made it to the bride age, and, you know, they, they believe the message. They're in HBT. There's nothing I can do. He doesn't say that. He says, what else can I do? And he sends along a pretty girl. Because he's trying to try you. He's trying to prove all you guys. You make great decisions. He's trying to figure out whether you figured out that in everything you do, you need to turn to God first. And commit your ways unto God. Because that's the best way. Shamgar only had going for him a revelation of his identity and something in his hand. Let's stand to our feet. Let's have our musicians come. Let's have a singer come. <clears throat> the fight will bring out things in you that passive living will never bring out. When all your kids are obedient, and when your job is running along fine, you got enough money in the bank and everything else, you pray differently than when your kids start to get rebellious. You pray differently when your job is on the line. You pray differently when you start up your car and your car doesn't start. <laughs> you pray differently when somebody gets sick and the doctor takes his hands and goes like this and says, there's nothing more we can do. You'll pray differently then. You'll pray differently. <clears throat> You'll pray differently when the church goes through some kind of a problem and there doesn't seem to be a solution, you'll pray differently then. But you know what? With the bride of Christ, they don't run away from trouble. They say, Lord, I know you're just using this to prove me. Help me to pass the test. Help me to come through this the way you want me to learn what you want me to learn. And then you want me to be more stable and you want me to be more confident and you want me to be stronger because I got another generation that's coming behind me and I need to show them how a man of God stands. Because you know what? When you look at this from the perspective of Shamgar's kids and how they looked at it, they must have looked at it and said, aha, that's how a Christian fights. That's how a Christian does it. May my children and my grandchildren, may they learn from me how we fight in our day, how a Christian really stands his ground. People, you know, a lot of young people think, well, I'm married and everything's going to be all right and I don't need to do anything. I can go back to my old lifestyle, my old ways of thinking and so on. Uh, you better be careful. You're going to need to stand your ground. Because the devil is going to try to mess up marriages. He's going to try to mess up homes. He's going to try to mess up teenagers. He's going to try to mess up whatever he can get his filthy hands on. He's going to try to mess it up. 
And you've always got to keep that ox coat in your hand because you're going to need it. <clears throat> Glory to God. Jaron, help us out here. There's an army rising up. Let's sing it now. There's an army rising up. There's an army rising up. Oh, to break every chain, break every chain, break every chain. There's a Shamgar. I could be a young girl here. I could be a young boy or an old man. Hey, listen, just say, Lord, when the time comes, I want you to be, I want you to be on the scene, just like you were for Shamgar. Lord, let that happen to me. Every praise is to our God. Every word of worship. Oh, every praise. Every praise is to our God. Deliverer, God, my Deliverer. 
He can do the same today for you. Yes, sir. He's our God. All right. Let's sing it now. Hallelujah. Just the men. Sing it there. Do you want to know? Now the ladies. Where I'm going. Where I'm going. Soon. If anybody asks you, ladies. Where I'm going, where I'm going soon. Now everybody, I'm going up yonder. Yes, I'm going up yonder. Well, I'm going up yonder to be with. 
can sing the comfort of knowing I'll soon be gone. God gives me grace. Is that right? I'm gonna run this race until I see my Savior face to face. Now lift your voice now. sing that song our god reigns yeah and i think that'd be fitting good b flat how lovely are the mountains are the feet of him who brings good
our heads together. I'd like to pray for you. Brother Mark, Sylvester, you go down and lay hands on Brother Troy. Will you just put your hand on Brother Mike? Would you come over and put your hands on Brother Troy? Right there. We're going to pray for Brother Troy. He's got to go to the hospital. Now, as we bow our heads together, and I want everybody now just to take advantage of this moment, the end of this service, and if you have a need somehow, maybe you've backed off from facing your enemy, but if you have a need today, say, Lord, anoint me like Shamgar that I can stand against a great big enemy, and I can't figure it out, and I can't, I can't understand it, but Lord, I'm going to trust you're going to anoint me. Sometimes God will take it away, but sometimes God will anoint you to deal with it. There's two ways that God has, and one is to take it away, like opening up the Red Sea. And then there's other times God wants to anoint you to do it, because he wants to show himself mighty through you. So when we pray, if you have a need today, just slip your hand up to God. Heavenly Father, there is none like you. And we believe, Lord, that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. What you did for Shamgar, you can do today. You're the God who's able to open up the Red Sea and destroy an enemy. Lord, you're able to send fire from heaven and consume those that oppose us. Lord, you're able to do great things, but sometimes, Lord, what you desire to do is to anoint us to stand for righteousness and truth. Sometimes, Lord, you anoint us to stand against our enemies and be strong. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that today, in this harvest time, Lord, where so much is available and our barns are full, and Lord, we see the enemy and how he would try to come in and take that away from us. How the enemy would try to come in and oppose us and take away from our inheritance. We're standing here today, Lord, just saying there is none like you. And Lord, when you come on our side and when you show up, Lord, there's no enemy that can stand against you. We love you, Lord Jesus, with all of our heart. Heal those that are sick. And Lord, we commit Brother Troy into your hands now. Pray, dear God, he has suffered long. Lord, the enemy has afflicted him, but I'm praying that you would just minister, Lord, to his need today. We commit him into your hands, Lord. Pray that you would touch him and heal him. Help him, Lord, to be well. We thank your brother Keith today, Lord, as well, and we hold him up in prayer before you, Lord, and bring him before that throne of grace and mercy. Lord, may there be nothing that stands in the way of your healing virtue flowing and ministering to him, Lord. Give him strength, I pray. We curse that affliction in the name of Jesus Christ. And we know the same God that touched our brother Drum is the same God that can touch Brother Keith. And Father, we're committing him into your hands. Lord, all these hands that are raised, and you know all about it, Lord. And some of us need your help directly. Some of us just need a Shamgar anointing in order to destroy the enemy that's marching against us. May we stand strong as men of God, women of God, in the face of the enemies of this time. We love you and we thank you, Lord, for your word, for the great promises that you've given to us. And how, Lord, you'll even use your enemies, Lord, to shape us and mold us. Have your way in our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' lovely name, we ask these things. Amen. And amen. God's people said, amen. amen. And amen. Put it in the key of F there, Sister Becky. We've been made more than conquerors. Sing it as you go today. God bless you. Overcomers in 